Um, and I was just kidding about skipping next week. Okay, don't don't skip. <laughs> don't don't do that. Okay. Matthew seventeen one. After six days, Jesus took his favorites. I don't know. I'm I'm his favorite. That's what Derek told me. So. Six days, Peter, James, John uh, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and then he was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. What a story! Okay, talking with them, and then Peter said, "Jesus said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here." If you want, I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, and we'll just do this thing. While he was speaking, it gets crazier. (laughs) While he's speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down, and they were terrified, because... Moses and Elijah showing up didn't terrify them. It's the voice from the, from the cloud. And Jesus came up and he touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Then tell everyone. So the disciples asked him, well, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus said, although Elijah certainly will come and turn back all hearts, Jesus replied, I tell you that Elijah, in a sense, has already come, though they did not recognize him. However, but they treated him shamefully. In the same way, the Son of Man, too, is himself destined to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that John the baptizer was the one he was speaking to them about. This is God's word. So prior to this awesome scene, Jesus has just finished telling his disciples that that he will carry a cross and suffer and die at the hands of wicked men. And that he will be raised on the third day. Righteous suffering unto glory um, last week. And then... He told the disciples, you will follow in those same same footsteps. Okay, so if it sounds bad for me, it's going to be way worse for you. Okay, kind of what he says, which leads right into the transfiguration story where Matthew communicates, I think, a lot. But two points for us today. One, that Jesus is the fulfiller of the law and and the prophets. Okay, just like he said in Matthew 5, 17, he's he's saying it again here um, with Neon. Okay, and second... Yeah, Matthew 5 is boring compared to this. <laughs> Second, the transfiguration is fuel for discipleship. Okay, This event is meant to encourage and exhort and spur on the disciples then and disciples now to stay on the path, finish the race, carry a cross to being raised on that day. So first, the transfiguration again tells us that Jesus is the fulfiller of the law and the prophets. After six days, he led them up on a high mountain. He's transfigured in front of them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them. So if you don't know your Bible history, Moses and Elijah are long gone. Okay, they've been gone for thousands of years. Yet here they are on the mountain with Jesus. So imagine the scene. You're, you're Peter. You, you, which is just a good mindset to have. All right, you're generally Peter. All right, you've just had this verbal 
tail whooping by Jesus before this. But now you're up on a mountain with him and it's just you, you and some of the boys. Jesus body is radiant and, and glowing. And then Moses and Elijah show up. All right. So you're like just all over the place. And it's awesome. Right. Jesus, look what's what's happening here. But what's going on? OK, why are Moses and Elijah part of this moment? I think that the Lord places them at this event because both of them in their lives and in their ministries are our precursors, are our pointers to Jesus. OK, they do uh, model and, 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 and imperfectly what Jesus will carry out and fulfill and, and do um, perfectly. OK, so let's just look at them for a sec. What do they have in common and why would these things put them on the mountain with Jesus? Well, first, like Jesus, we're 17 chapters into Matthew, so hopefully you picked up on this. Jesus performs miracles. Okay, <laughs> Jesus performs miracles and Elijah and Moses do the same thing, right? So uh, Elijah, he prays and there's a drought. He prays and then it, it rains. He makes bread out of uh, no flour, which means I didn't feed Sierra sourdough. Will it be okay? I didn't feed it yesterday. She has a sourdough and I didn't feed it. I can't kill it. Okay, well, there we go. Anyway, sorry. That just came to me. Um, anyway, Elijah makes bread out of no flour. He keeps the widow's uh, oil flowing, even though she has none uh, in her pot. He raises a child from the dead. He calls down fire on, on the prophet, on, on, the, on the sacrifice. And it, even though it's soaked with water, it, it, it uh, burns up later, you know, less famously. He calls down fire on their entire army and they're all um, consumed. He, he divides the Jordan River like Elijah's doing miracles. Moses does miracles, too, right? Obviously, he's a big player in the plagues. Okay, he's kind of the, the guy there parts the Red Sea with Moses. You get bread from the sky, water from a rock. He prays and the earth swallows up the rebellious sons of Korah. So these are Elijah and Moses, wonder working men in Israel's story. And Jesus at this point in his ministry has followed in their footsteps pretty closely, especially with bread. Right. Always making bread. Just it's like his his trick. So what else is similar between Moses, Elijah and Jesus? Uh, both Moses and Elijah labor to turn Israel from idols back to worshiping Yahweh alone. So uh, Elijah, we've already referenced First Kings 18. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But stop doing this bit. He, he's turning people away from the false God back to um, the true one. And so Elijah's reputation is picked up and, and projected forward into the prophets. So Malachi, at the end of our Old Testament, says, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah, who, again, who's long gone by the time Malachi is, is prophesying. I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, which is Big picture for idol idol worship, okay? So then, John the Baptist, it gets projected further from Malachi to John. The disciples asked Jesus on their way down the mountain, why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? The scribes are saying it because Malachi is saying it, okay? And Jesus says, although Elijah certainly will come and turn back all hearts, I tell you that in a sense, Elijah already has come, speaking of John, and they did not recognize him but treated him 
shamefully. Okay, and so this is kind of another similarity between Jesus and and the prophets, Elijah, uh, John, and and Moses. They are all suffer and, and persecuted at the hands of wicked men. Okay, just this is Matthew five. They, just as they persecuted the prophets before me, they will persecute you. So the point is, Elijah's function. As a prophet, and and I think what modern day prophecy should do as well is to turn the hearts of the people. Okay, like Elijah's thing is not a parlor trick. He wants you to worship Yahweh alone. Moses does the same thing. Turn turns the heart of the people. So whether that's smashing their their golden calf and, and making them urinate it all over the wilderness, that's a weird story. Okay, whether it's that or or with his words in his farewell address. So Moses at the end of his life. Deuteronomy 28 through 32, just 30 right here. He says, when all these things happen to you, the blessings and the curses, and you come to your senses while you are in exile, and you and your children return to the Lord your God, and you obey him with all your heart and your soul by doing everything I'm I'm commanding you today. So this is just a hallmark of of all the prophets, but Elijah and, and Moses, man, their thing is to turn the hearts of the people back to the Lord, okay, um, alone, and then... This is what John the Baptist does when he shows up, right? Repent, kingdom of God, the day of the Lord is at hand. Jesus shows up, steals John's message. Same thing. Okay, so they're precursors to this. Third, Elijah and Moses function in, in prophetic authority, okay? So if you want to you uh, persuade someone, a, a, a Jew, you want to persuade a Jew, say Moses said, Right? Okay, well, we got to go with Moses. So Elijah, over and over in his ministry, he hears the word of the Lord and then gives, preaches it. All right, says to the people what, what the Lord has said. Um, and again, Moses is, is a bigger deal than Elijah in this thing. Hearing the word of the Lord and giving it to the people. Okay, so listen, to, I'm going to read from Exodus 24. And just listen if you hear the similarities between Matthew 17 and, and Exodus 24. Moses went up on the mountain. The cloud covered it. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud coverage for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud. The appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the cloud and he went up on the mountain and he remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. That's just what we read in Matthew 17. So then Moses goes up, hears the word of the Lord, and then he preaches it and gives meaning to it, particularly at the end of his life in in Deuteronomy. Okay, he, He's prophesying um, at the end. He And... and, and He prophesies based on the word that he received on the mountain concerning Israel's coming exile and concerning Israel's coming restoration. It's the same thing that John preaches. It's the same thing that Jesus preaches. It's the same thing we want to preach. And Moses, as as a prophet, kind of as the ideal prophet in in the in the Tanakh, points to a, a greater Moses who will walk in even more prophetic authority. Right. Moses prophesies. Jesus, Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. And you must listen to him. The voice from the cloud says what? Listen to him. This is my beloved son. So, and again, that's just three things. We can make a lot more parallels between Elijah, Moses, and and Jesus. Moses is the deliverer. Jesus is a, you know what I mean? Like you could just keep going. But but you see why we've, we're having this heavenly vision up on the mountain. Jesus glorified and, and lifted up. And Moses and Elijah are like, sweet. Right? We're here. This is what we, 
Well, uh, um, John 5, what does Jesus say? Uh, um, Abraham longed to see my day. So did Moses. <laughs> so, so, did, so did Elijah. And they're part of the vision. So if the Lord is going to make a statement, okay, uh, and reveal the, the true and glorious nature, the, the majesty, keep that word in mind, we'll hit it again, the, the majesty of his Messiah, Moses and Elijah got to be there to bear witness to it. Okay, it's only right that if you're going to exalt and lift up this one, that these guys are here saying, yeah, that's the one that we waited for. Okay, so, so what happens next? Jesus is glowing. Moses and Elijah appeared. Then Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I'll set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So Peter's pumped. And don't knock Peter here, all right? We have plenty of opportunities to knock Peter, don't do it here. He almost gets what, what's happening, okay? Peter understands that the Jewish calendar, particularly the, the Feast of Booths or Shelters or, or Tabernacles, which they celebrate um, to remind them of their time in the wilderness, right? When you go camping, you bring a... Right? Or don't go camping. Have you ever been to a hotel? Like, <laughs> Awesome. You can turn the thermostat as low as you want to. You can shower as long as you want to, and it's fine, okay? Anyway, but Israel's in the wilderness. They have to, they didn't have homes, and so they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles to remind them, hey, remember when we were in the wilderness, but also to remind them and point them to the what God has promised them. One day you're going to inherit the land forever, and you will have proper homes, right? Or hotels, not 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 tents, okay? So the, the tabernacles point to the redemption. When they're celebrating that feast, they're looking back and they are uh, pointing forward, like like we do with with the Lord's Supper. Right? We look back to the cross and and do it until um, he comes. So think about Peter here, Matthew sixteen. Peter has just affirmed, "This is the Messiah. You're the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. You're going to give us the land in, in peace and, and safety." Now, Matthew seventeen, he sees Jesus and resurrect. If he'd resurrected, but glorified kind of state here. Then Moses and Elijah, two figures from Israel's history who act as, as precursors to the redemption, are standing here ready to inherit the promised kingdom that's coming to them, right? Like they're there to inherit the thing that this guy's going to bring. So, of course, Peter's hyped. Like, He's been like like the gospels open up with the people longing for the consolation of Israel, longing for the redemption to come. And Peter's up on the mountains like this is it. Like you again, if you were Peter here, you would just be so psyched. The redemption, the resurrection are about to happen. Let's celebrate the feast. You guys wait here. I'll go get some tents and and. We'll do the thing. So Peter's not far off here. He he gets what Moses represents. He gets what Elijah represents. He gets what this glowing guy represents. The problem is Peter's timing is off. Okay? He's forgotten what Jesus has just said six days prior. That before this happens, the Son of Man must suffer. Right? If you hear that, like, that's what Jesus said. The day of redemption is not happening yet, Peter. But here's a picture. Okay, don't don't get the tense. Okay, so Peter's enthusiasm um, is, is dampered, but it, it, it's dampered and cut off in a wonderful way. Okay, in the same way as when Moses went up on the mountain, the glory of the Lord arrives again, and, and Yahweh speaks, "This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." Listen to him. Okay, while Peter's speaking, the Lord cuts him off. Right? It's like 
So, and it's just like Moses prophesied, Deuteronomy 18, 15. During Moses' ministry, Israel listened to him. During Elijah's ministry, Israel listened to him. But now, the Lord speaks from the cloud, just like he spoke to Moses. This is my son. Listen to him. Hebrews 1, 1 and 3, the apostles pick this up. He says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The sun is the radiance of God's glory on the mountain. We're seeing it and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Okay, so you, you see what's going on in this awesome scene on the mountain. The, the law, Moses and the prophets, Elijah, they bear witness to this glowing carpenter from Nazareth, the one on whom God has put his spirit, Isaiah 42, to make all the promises come true. Like, this is what's happening here. And, and so the, the transfiguration event uh, explains and, and reaffirms and, and re-ups what Jesus said in, in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't think that I'm here to do away with the Torah, Moses, or the prophets, Elijah. I have not come to do away with them, or change them, or reimagine them, or reinterpret them. I've come to make them fully known and carry them out. So everything promised in the law and the prophets, I'm the guy that's going to make sure that you don't think God's a liar. These things will, everything promised in the covenants will come to pass. So when the Lord speaks from the cloud with Moses and Elijah present, and he glorifies the son and he says, listen to him, Peter and James and John are reminded yet again, this is really the guy. And he's really worth following and he's really putting all, really worth putting all of our Hope in, because what, what does Peter say later? Like, you alone have the words of life. Where else can we go? Who else are we going to listen to? Like, we're, we're, we don't have any hope outside of this. The Pharisees are putting some hope here. The Sadducees are putting some hope here. We've tried those things. We don't like them. We don't think they're going to work. You have the words of life. And now you're lit up and radiant and glowing. So we'll stick with it. Okay? We'll, we'll, we'll go with it. So, that, again, this is just... Like just a phenomenal moment. I mean, I just these are real people. Like these are, you know, like Bible stories are about actual human beings, lit and, and you know, with all the stuff that real human beings have, and they're getting to see the glorified Jesus and Moses, and it, it's just, it's just awesome. Okay, but it quickly becomes terrifying, right? <laughs> Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, the voice from the cloud speak, this is my beloved son, they fell face down and they were terrified. Okay, so you know how you have little kids or you've seen little kids and they get really excited on a swing set or a pool. Okay, I have nieces and nephews and you throw them up in the air and they're just like so excited and all those endorphins are flowing. It's just the best thing in the world. But then at some point they realize I'm flying through the air. Or they realize, I don't know how to swim, right? That's not how you teach kids to swim, right? <laughs> Braden and Steph, okay. I taught Kaylin to swim. She threw her in. She went, okay. But you know what, sorry, you know what I mean? Like, kids are just so excited because they don't really think about what's happening, and then they start to think about what's happening, and then they're terrified, 
right? And they're just like, oh gosh, I can't actually fly. I can't actually swim. This is bad news. So that happens here, right? The, the disciples are, are hyped. They're looking at the God-man in his glorified state, the Shekinah glory that covered uh, Sinai and filled Moses' tabernacle and then filled Solomon's temple. It's all around them. This is awesome. Dad threw us up in the air and we're flying, right? It, it's so hyped. But then they realize they're looking at the God-man in his glorified state and the Shekinah glory that, that was with Moses on the mountain and filled Moses' tabernacle and filled Solomon's temple is all around them. And now they're not hyped anymore. They're terrified. Little kid on his way down. Oh, you know, I, I hope I hope I get caught. And, and so why are they terrified? Because you know what happens generally when people go into the presence of God? You guys have seen Indiana Jones, right? They die. They die. Like the, the Levitical system is God giving human beings a hazmat suit so they can walk into the nuclear place and not be killed. So they're, they're terrified. They're, the Shekinah glory is there. The glorified God-man is there. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, Isaiah 6. Isaiah went up into the heavenly temple. And what's, what's he say? This is awesome. I love this. What does he say? He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean uh, people. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord. He, Isaiah, is terrified in the presence of the Lord. His expectation is that God's physical presence will kill him when he goes up. That's that's part of the miracle um, of, of Mount Sinai. The elders go up with Moses, and they eat and drink with God. And the uh, I think Moses wrote Exodus, says, and the people were... Good morning, Amber. It says the people were not consumed, right? So they go up on a mountain, they're eating with God, and the author of Exodus makes a note to say, it's important that you know the people were not consumed. Because the expectation is what? You go into the presence of God, you're consumed, right? All right. So what happens next? They're terrified. They think they're going to die. Jesus comes up to them and touched them and said, get up. Don't be afraid, which is really encouraging to have Jesus say, you're not going to die. <laughs> you're not going to die. You're my friends like Moses and Elijah are my friends. And I want to show you what they saw. Right. Because Moses went up on the mountain and, and saw the glory of the Lord. He says, show me your glory. The Lord passes by him. Elijah goes up in a flaming chariot. I'm assuming he saw the glory. He says, you guys, Peter, James and John, you are my friends. I want to show you what I showed Moses. I want to show you what I showed Elijah. And Jesus has already told them they'd be okay. Matthew 16, 28, right before this, I solemnly tell you this. There are some standing here who will certainly not experience death while they have a glimpse of the Son of Man coming with his kingdom. Okay? Now, there's like 87 different versions of 16:28, So you can just talk about it in Sunday school or whatever, your house group. But Jesus, if you interpret it this way, Jesus said you're not going to experience death. While you see the glory. And then six days later, they go up on the mountain. And Jesus says, get up. Don't be afraid. Okay? So the first thing... I'm so behind. Sorry. The first thing the transfiguration communicates is that Jesus is the one promised. Which is what Matthew has been doing since Matthew chapter 1, right? Like, this is maybe the whole point of this gospel is to say, this is the Messiah. <laughs> okay? This, this is the one who will make fully known and carry out everything the law and prophets said. I'm doing better than I thought. All right, so second, 
that transfiguration is fuel for discipleship and faith. Okay, it's fuel for the human heart that's putting their trust in God. It's fuel to say, keep going. Do do not quit. So I'll I'll, I'll show you this. God lights up the lights up Jesus on the mountain so that the disciples can carry a cross and be faithful unto death. Okay, because that's right before this. Right. He gives them, hey, if anyone's going to come after me, if he's going to follow me, he's going to carry his cross. He's going to suffer at the hands of wicked men and he's going to be raised on the third day. We're good with being raised on the third day. This is the hard part, right? We're good with the age to come. This present age is is the hard part. So he told them about the suffering, and now he's showing them the glory to come, like in, in, in HD, right? You can see the, the glory to come here. And so after this moment, this event in the lives of disciples is meant to give them fuel, okay, to, to keep going. And, and I'm not making this up. I, this is how Peter talks about the event, okay? So Peter, who's on the mountain... Now old, at the, end, at the end of his life, about to go to a cross, he writes about this event, and he writes about it as, as fuel. So I'm just going to work through a little bit of, of Second Peter here. To those who have received a faith equal to ours, okay? So to those who are believing the same promises that we are, yet have not seen them, okay? His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. His divine power has given us everything for cross-bearing discipleship, Okay? You have what you need, all right? Verse 4, he has given us very great and precious promises. The the covenants, the promise of the restoration of all things and and to restore all things. So that through them, the covenants, you may share in the divine nature. What is the divine nature? A body like his, resurrected, glorified, never decaying due to sin and death. He's given you what you need. He's given you promises pointing to those things, escaping the corruption that is in the world, escaping the present evil age to eternal life in the age to come. Okay, so you got that? He's given us these promises. He's given you everything you need to stay on the path. So with that glory of the age to come and the resurrection in view, Peter then lays out the path for this age, which Jesus did in Matthew 16. So for this very reason... That by faith in the promises, you will escape the corruption of this present age and share in Jesus' glorified, resurrected, divine nature. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness and knowledge and self-control and endurance and godliness and brotherly affection and love. For if you possess these qualities, if you walk according to this path, right, which is cross-carrying discipleship, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful. Every tree that does not bear fruit is what? Chop down, cast into the fire, but every tree that does bear fruit, okay, it'll keep you from being unfruitful. For in this way, this way being the, the promise, faith in the promises, walking according to the promises, making every effort, what's the payoff for in this way? Entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Okay? He's just laying out here. You've got promises. You trust those promises. And in doing so, entry into the eternal kingdom will be provided for you richly. Not like a little bit. Okay, Richly provided for you. Therefore, I always remind you about these things. I always remind you about the promises and the discipleship necessary to inherit the promises. I hope at the end of my ministry I can say that. I always remind you of these things. The promises and the discipleship necessary to attain them. I think it is right. As long as I am in this bodily tent, okay, this present body, to wake you up with a reminder since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, all right? 
I'm, I'm, I'm about done, Peter's saying. As our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me, John 21, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to be carried around where you do not want to go. We find out later on a cross. Okay? Our Lord Jesus has made this, this clear to me. Okay, so here's where he's at. Why can Peter write so confidently about these things? Well, like, why, why can he with confidence say, by staying on the path, okay, by, by following the Lord Jesus in the life that he called you to live, why can he with confidence say that by staying on the path, you will have entry into the eternal kingdom? It's not what you think, okay? Verse 16, here's his why. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Witnesses to his majesty. What is Peter talking about? Is he talking about the majesty of Jesus' teaching? Or the majesty of his miracles? Or or, or even his resurrection? Or his ascension? Or his sending the spirit? Like, these are all majestic things. What event, though, in the life of Jesus marks Peter the most With majesty, he tells us, verse 17, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received glory and honor from God the Father when? When the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. So I'm reading Peter's story in Matthew 17 and and reading old man Peter's letter this week. And I just imagine now at this point in the letter, as old men do, okay? Peter's writing, and then he gets that faraway look in his eye and leans back, you know, as they do, and then writes verse 18. It says, we ourselves, we ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. You see, you see what Peter, like you see what the transfiguration did For Peter, what it should do for us. The purpose for the transfiguration in the life of Peter tells us in verse 19. So with the transfiguration in view, Peter says, here's here's what. We also, in view of this, the mountain and the voice speaking from the mountain. We also, in view of this, we have the prophetic word more strongly confirmed. That's what it meant to Peter. The the transfiguration tells Peter God's not a liar. The transfiguration tells Peter the covenants, what God has promised, will actually come come to pass. And which one specifically do you think is highlighted in the transfiguration? Which promise of God? I think it's the resurrection of the dead. Right? It's the resurrection of the dead. The promise to overturn death. Peter sees Jesus' body lit up like the sun. And he writes to the church that, that, that this event... Testifies to, affirms, points to the glory of the resurrection. When the saints, those who follow Jesus, as as described in Matthew 16, that's who the saints are, faithfully unto death, the transfiguration points to the day when they will inherit bodies that Daniel 12, 3, shine like the brightness of the heavens. Matthew 13, shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. 1 Corinthians 15, bodies that are raised in splendor, shine like the moon, the sun, and the stars. Guys, this is the point of the heavenly vision. To say God is not lying to you in the covenants and in the promises. If he said he will raise the dead, he will raise the dead. Here's glowing Jesus to prove it. Right? This is what's going on. God glorifies the son for these men before his suffering so that they would have an anchor of hope during their own suffering. Because you have to have an anchor of hope or there's, there's no reason to walk the path. 
If you don't think the race is going to be finished and end and you'll actually have victory, you don't run the race at all. Like First Corinthians, Paul's like, why would I run in a race and not compete? You have to have a vision. You have to have a goal. And for Peter, it's being resurrected and glorified. For Peter to walk the path in suffering, the Lord knew he would need a vision of glory to remind him that the promises are true, that God is not a liar, and that he is not slow at some count's slowness. Which is the meta theme of Second Peter, right? Mockers and scoffers and Peter saying, the Lord is not slow. I know this because I saw him glowing on the mountain. Robert, you can help us, please. So if that's what the transfiguration meant to Peter, okay? This, mean, this, this event means I have the prophetic word to Eve and Abraham and, and Moses and, and, and David and the prophets. I have that word more fully confirmed because I was on the mountain. I, heard the, I saw the cloud. I heard the voice. I saw him lifted up. I saw Moses and Elijah. I believe the promises even though I'm not presently seeing them. If that's what it means for Peter, what does it mean? What does it mean for us? Okay. And Peter, so Peter tells us, and you do well. We have the prophetic word more, more fully confirmed because God lit up the sun and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. How long? Until, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So I would just close with this one, pay attention to the promises. Okay, and our, our 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 membership class, like we spend a good chunk on the covenants. Okay, like we we want to take all of our new members through. Here's what God said to Eve. Here's what God said to Abraham. Here's what God said to David. Here's what God said to the prophets. This is what we build everything on. Okay, because we have to pay attention to them, or this age will just kick your tail. You don't have an anchor of hope. What's God going to do in the future? I don't know. No, you got to know. He's going to raise the dead and make all things new. He's going to do it. You do well to pay attention to it until that day dawns. So so first is pay attention to it, okay? Which is just like shorthand for read your Bibles and believe what what they say. And, And second, pay attention to the signs confirming these things, okay? So... Let me, let me just, so we believe that God is going to come and restore and make all things new, not blindly, okay? Like, Christians are weird, Christianity is weird, but we're not dumb, okay? We have actual historical events that we can point to and say, this is why I believe the future plays out this way. I have, I have, an, I have an empty tomb. I have I have God made the heavens and the earth. Okay, this, this isn't a random blob or whatever. I know this happened. God made the nation of Israel, who's still here. Okay, God, God's made. They, they went into exile as God said they would. They came back in as God said they would. They went out. They came in. They came. Okay, I've got that. I've got the empty tomb that confirms all of these things. So here's just one thing I, I, I would say for you guys to think about and 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 lean into is the human heart. Is um, is weak, right? It, it's hard. It, it, it needs help to believe the promises. And so I, I just want to say that when God moves in your life, okay? So when we pray for someone uh, and they're healed, that's that functions like the transfiguration event. 
it confirms to us, okay, God, you, you're actually going to do the thing that you said. When, when uh, you, even you just have a, a good, we come on Sunday and the Lord visits us. You know what I mean? Like some Sundays you come in, it's like we sing our songs, we hear our sermon, we go home and it's, and it's fine. And then some Sundays we come in, we, we sing our songs and we sing our songs and we pray and we pray and we hear the word and we hear... That's supposed to function like the transfiguration event. So it's, a, it's a reminder. God's real. God's ministering to the human heart so that we can stay on the path. Okay, when, when, when a demon's cast out, it's the same thing. It's pointing to the day when Jesus drives all the demons off the earth. It, it's, it, so I know there's like a... Um, especially in the last 20 years, just like... All emotion is bad and we shouldn't chase after spiritual highs and whatever and all this stuff. I just want to say, bull, go after it all the time, okay? And receive those things as confirmation that God's real, that the promises are real, which more confirms the words of the prophets that God will actually do the thing, okay? That was all unorganized and and not contrived. But I just want to say, seek the signs, okay? Go after the work of the Spirit. Ask God, God, my heart is dry right now. My heart's got, it's just hard to believe these things. And I think you'd pray that, the Lord will give you a dream. Oh, just a couple weeks ago. I was was praying like, God, I'm not feeling the word, whatever. I I need something. And what happened? Lord, give me a dream. And it functions like the transfiguration, reminding me that, okay, this is is real, okay? So I just want to say that's how to interpret and, and, and enjoy the work of the Spirit um, in our life. Okay, I'm done. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for the transfiguration. Thank you for bringing the disciples up on the mountain. Thank you for showing them a, a vision of glory, showing them a vision of the resurrection as a reminder that those who follow you who put their trust in you, who cry out for mercy daily, God. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and run that race to the end, God. They will be raised. They will be raised. Thank you for the the reminder of the transfiguration that now is not always, God. You will come. You will raise the dead. You will make all things new. You will wipe every tear from our eye. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, If you have questions about um, Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus, talk to a member of our church if you're sitting next to them, or talk to any of our elders or or me. I'd love love to talk to you about that. So I'm going to invite our elders up now um, for prayer. You can pray in response to the message. You can pray about um, anything else. So let's do that now.